everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Scouting Spotlight podcast on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Austin Miller, joined as always by Tom Robinson. Back to regularly scheduled programming after we took a trip around some of the past shows on our last episode. Today, we will be profiling Club America's Federico Vinas, an Uruguayan attacker who has really burst into the spotlight over the last couple of weeks and months. Tom, firstly, how are you? Secondly, this podcast might be pretty easy for you because you don't have to come up with a nickname. He's already got one. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's uh, more for the benefit of our listeners than, you know, to get my not so creative juices flowing. But yeah, uh, generally speaking, I'm, I'm good. I've been out in the in the back garden sipping on some mates today and sort of, yeah, dreaming of, uh, of being in South America. So yeah, good to good to get back on and uh, profile uh, another exciting young player. Tom, that aforementioned nickname for Venus is El Tanky. Uh, that obviously translates to the tank. And let's be honest, it's, it, it's his nickname for a reason. Oh yeah, he's he's got that really kind of typical stocky, powerful build to him. Someone who's, you know, he, he he's kind of not super tall. I wouldn't say he's one of these just massive um, sort of target man center forwards, but he's kind of got that kind of bullish quality about him and and also we can't forget his other um nickname maravinas as well which is um uh yeah quite fantastic as well so he's got two amazing nicknames that i think really give you an idea of uh what a a marvelous um powerful center forward that he's he's promising to be Tom, as I said, he kind of came into the spotlight really, for the most part, out of nowhere over the past couple of, of months. He's a 21-year-old Uruguayan attacker for America. He'll turn 22 at the end of June, so maybe a, a bit older than, than a typical player we'd profile. He's got eight goals for America in the 2019-2020 season. He joined America from Juventud in Uruguay, where he played for two years with a goal-scoring record that I don't think you can describe as particularly impressive, um, but obviously what America saw on tape, they they liked. Uh, he was a member of the Pre-Olimpico squad for Uruguay in that tournament, which took place in the early part of this year. He's currently on loan at America. They have an option to buy for $1.9 million, uh, which we both think, and we can get into this a bit more later, that they will exercise before maybe looking for another move down the line. Tom, you mentioned it. He is a pretty stereotypical back-to-goal finisher. He can hold up the ball really well. I think his hold-up play is certainly something that sticks out to me. And he's a finisher, and he's a left-footed finisher, which is important to emphasize. He's very good at receiving, turning, and shooting, and he does it with an effectiveness that is at a higher level than I think you might anticipate. Um He's an intriguing player because of that. He's kind of a bit of a throwback player, maybe. Uh, versatility, I don't think, is, is something I would say is in his back pocket. But he's dangerous <laughs> at what he does, and what he does is pretty effective. Yeah, exactly. He's you know he's he's not one of these talents that we necessarily see that's got um, all the you know who's not blessed with all the technical ability in the world I mean taking nothing away from him but it's more his his sort of hard working pressing hard from the front his his good movement very opportunistic and like like you said he's he's kind of he's got those kind of quick reactions to be in the in the right place at the right time and and as you said those instinctive finishes with his left foot to certainly catching defenses off guard in Mexico and and yeah he's 
he's got a little bit of everything that just makes him an absolute nuisance basically to play against he's he's someone who i think works very well as um in, in sort of a pair up front he's he's maybe someone who can lead the line and and as you said with his back to goal and his sort of barrel chest bring other players into the game and and get onto the end of um, chances in the box he's always sort of sniffing around the penalty area seizing on moments of doubt in the defense and and putting them away so he, he definitely fits that mold of of uruguayan strikers who just um are pretty relentless and and, and hard working so certainly someone who i think could complement maybe someone more technical maybe someone a bit more skillful up front he's he's kind of in that I don't know, maybe not quite in the same stature of, of your Maxi Gomez um, roles, but someone who can, I think, be quite a, a useful player going forward. I mean, I, I know it's only a, a small sample size that we're looking at the moment. And, and as you mentioned there, that, that very left-footedness means that it could be something that he needs to work on and develop for, for the fear of getting worked out by defenders. But given that he just exploded from nowhere, it's it's one of those players that that really shows you that how quickly a star can be made in, in South American and Latin American football. And all of a sudden he's you know, he's up there with one of their their best young prospects. So very, very interesting player to profile because as we were saying before the pod, you know, this is a guy whose whose career could sort of go any which way. Well, and I think the first thing we have to, to talk about is to credit America for a really good bit of business because it wasn't as though mm. this guy was was banging in the goals at Juventud in the Uruguayan Primera División. He scored, but it wasn't at the sort of rate that, that sticks out to you to make you say, wow, this, this kid's a player. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of Uruguayan Primera División football that's watched outside of, of Peñarol and Nacional. And so to be able to find a player like this, to bring him in on such a club-friendly type deal, and then to be able to kind of allow it to work in the way that it did at what is a very big club in Mexico, um, and to have the type of success that he's had, uh, a lot of credit there. I'm sure his agent deserves some, some sort of credit <laughs> here, because I imagine he was involved in the move as well. An interesting player comparison for me, Tom, is he almost has a a Solomon Rondon-ness about him. What, what do you think of that sort of comparison in that he's big, he's not exactly athletic, uh, he plays taller than I think he actually is, he's good in the air for somebody who maybe doesn't have the height, he's a great hold-up player, he's the type of person you can put up front and know that they're going to win their fair share of those long balls that you would play to him, and then he can he can also be dangerous with it when he gets the ball. That was kind of a name that stuck out, stuck out to me when I, when I was kind of prepping for this. Yeah, I, th- I think he's, he's probably not as much of a target man as someone like Rondon, who's physically is so impressive and, and can really act as that lone target man. I, I think he is someone who he's got those abilities. And, and as you said, he's someone who, who seems to, to be a bit more taller and, and physical than maybe you first expect when you see him. Him. Um, but I, th- I think he's got a bit more. Not necessarily to say he's he's going to go on to be as good a player as Rondon because he's. I think he's someone who has been fairly underrated for quite a while. But he, he's someone who I think he's got a bit more movement um, about him. I think he's. I think you could play him alongside someone like Rondon. You know, to get those flick-ons. Yeah, he might not necessarily be the the quickest player, but I think he's 
he's multi-talented enough that he could either play that kind of role or play just off someone like that. I think there's, I don't think it's necessarily that easy to pin down um, what type of player he he currently is and and what he could become. He's he's kind of a a jack of all trades. He might not necessarily be someone who's a nine out of ten on on one particular skill, but I think he's got um, kind of the right general skill set and also the the mentality the the way he's been able to come into as you said a huge club in in mexico um easily one of the biggest and and most historical and if you think about as well the amount of competition he had up front when he arrived you've got gio los santos yeah he might be a bit past his prime but he's you know a huge player You've got Nicolas Castillo, the the Chilean striker, who again is is a very similar type of player, I think, as well, and someone who I liked for a while. And then the two Colombians, Roger Martinez and Andres Ibarguen. So, I mean, right there, you've got four or five guys who who you would think would be ahead of him in the pecking order. Um, and I, th- I think that's part of what the you know the charm of him is because there was no expectation from from him to come in, you know, to break into the the first team and make an instant impact. As you said, I mean. Initially, you know, when he got into the uh, Juventud de la Piedra side and, you know, he was playing second division Uruguayan football and, and six goals in 20 games, even for a you know 19 year old, doesn't necessarily jump off the page and, and then was in the Primera División with, with five goals in 20 as, as uh, Juventud went back down again. So, you know, for a struggling side, you know, your first season in the Primera, it's decent, but it's not... I think that's why no one was, first of all, expecting him to get that move and then for to go straight into one of the biggest clubs in, in the continent and hit eight goals in 15 games, I think it was, is, is sensational. It's a proper rags to riches tale because three years ago he was working in a butcher's. <laughs> so it's it's incredible. He, he sort of was at Liverpool and Montevideo's um, youth ranks. You know, that's a, a really good historical side that's um, pr- produced players like Nicolas de la Cruz, uh, Sebastian Cáceres, Nicolas Acevedo in, in recent years. But he dropped out at the age of 15 and, and then was picked up from sort of amateur local football to a side that even within Uruguay don't really have a reputation for producing, you know, young players. Obviously, you mentioned Nacional and Peñarol as the two big clubs, but then you've got your clubs like Defensor and Danubio, uh, Liverpool, who are, who have got really good reputations at producing young players. So he's come out of a, a team that not even anyone in Uruguay is really paying attention to. Um, so it's it's a really fantastic story, and I think the fact that he's gone through those hardships, he's he knows what it's like to struggle and suffer means that he's taking his chance and in these big occasions he's he's not afraid to take them so that's for me what makes him just that more interesting than maybe just what type of style of football he plays Tom he, he is taking his chance and when he's taking his chance he's taking it with his left foot has he ever done anything with his right foot ever <laughs> uh, usually it's a jump for a nice diving header maybe <laughs> that is uh, certainly something that I think you mentioned it earlier, and I just kind of wanted to re-emphasize it. He'll have to try and develop, um, become a bit less one-dimensional when it comes to finishing. You're not going to necessarily be able to turn onto your left foot and shoot on every occasion um, with the type of success that he's been able to have. So that's certainly something to to look out for. 
Tom, you mentioned the names that he's beaten out um, to get in consistently in that Club America team. One name he didn't have to beat out was the Frenchman, Jeremy Menez, who I just realized is no longer at America, which is a shame because that is the Club America kit that I bought when I went to Mexico City. And I got ripped off on this kit. And let me tell you, Tom, here's what happened. <laughs> tell me, I, was, tell me I was outside the Estadio Azteca with my friends for the big Club America Cruz Azul match. Really fun match. Great stadium. Great experience. We all enjoyed it. And I was like, all right, I got to buy a kit. And obviously what you do outside the match is you just buy the cheapest fake kit you can find. But I, I like my fake kits to have a certain type of quality about them. And so I was looking and I found a tent. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they look pretty good in this tent. All right, give me the, the Menez one. And, and look, I stuck out like a sore thumb in Mexico City. This was before I had learned Spanish. And so I just paid whatever. I got the kit. And what they did, Tom, is I'm pretty sure they bought a real kit to hang up as the display to make it look like you were getting a really good fake kit. But then the fake kit that you actually got was pretty garbage. So, you know what? Tip of the cap to them because they got me and I wore it once. <laughs> and that was the night of the match. And I've literally never worn my Club America Jeremy Menez kit since. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's quite a... Uh... A tragic tale there. I mean, I've also got a America kit as well, and it's such a beautiful, uh, iconic kit as well. And especially the, the the current one's quite enjoyable. But you know, even looking back in the past at players like Blanco and and Cabanas when he was there, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you know, when I was in Mexico, probably about ten years ago or something, uh, I got a, a Club America one with a Bimbo sponsor across the front. But of course. um, like like you, I, I tend to go for um, well. Maybe I'm less discerning with my my fake kits that I like to pick up, and um, yeah, since since uh, a lot of the uh, the sponsors have come off in the wash, so it's uh, not quite in its its glory that I that I first bought it, but yeah, it's um, I, I can feel your pain basically in in being hustled by uh, you know the promise of a beautiful yellow and blue America shirt and. And then gang, I got a getting tent. mugged off a I little bit. I got a bit. tent, Tom. That's what I got. I got a tent that was yellow, and I wore it <laughs> once. Uh, also on that trip, I bought a really good fake Pumas kit, which I was really happy with. And also, at the Pumas stadium, you cannot go into the stadium with your belt on. So, fun fact for those of you who may be planning a trip to see Pumas play at some point. Back to the topic at hand in Federico Vinas. <laughs> if we must. If we must, I guess. I can do a fake kit podcast all day. Um... <laughs> Tom, no real concrete European interest yet. Uh, I think that will come probably, particularly if he continues to keep up this sort of, of rate. As I said, I think we both wholeheartedly expect America to exercise their option to, to buy him for just under $2 million. It's a great deal, particularly looking at, at the values that, that are paid for, for some players around world football. But what do you think is next for him? What do you kind of see? Do you think this is a player who can succeed in Europe? I think he will get a chance. I don't know if I would peg him as somebody that would definitely succeed and will be playing at a, at a high level or a medium high to high level in Europe for the majority of his career. I could absolutely see him going to Europe and it's maybe not quite working out and then coming back and being a really high-level goal scorer in South America, in Latin America for a long period of time. That might be, I think, the most logical path for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, right now it's, it's, it's kind of hard to know what his, his ceiling is because it is a relatively small sample size that we're looking at. Obviously, he's paid 
40 uh, odd games for um, Juan Dude, but in terms of looking at this, 15 games that he's played for America, you know, it could just be a hot streak. We're not entirely sure. You know, he he did pretty well for the the Uruguay under 23s, but again, he wasn't finding the back of the net there. So that might suggest that he's more of a um, sort of a member of a good squad member um, rather than someone who's necessarily going to be the next Luis Suarez or Edison Cavani, which I don't think either of us are tipping him for. But um, I think we'll know a lot better in, in the next six months or so. It'll be interesting to see whether America try and try and make some money on him while he's the flavor of the month. And, and like, like you said, I think they could probably get at least three or four times um, what they're going to pay for him. You know, you could easily see him go for some anywhere between sort of eight and 12 million. Um, if he, Certainly if he keeps up this form when football res- uh, uh, resumes again. The only teams that I've seen linked um, sort of fairly tentatively are Sevilla and Betis. And, and I think Spain would be quite a nice fit for him. Um, we've seen fellow Uruguayans go go there and do well. Maxi Gomez being obviously one who who really did well at Celta Vigo and, and then now is, you know, doing pretty well at uh, Valencia. But then he, he could sort of f- fall into the same sort of situation as someone like Gabriel Fernandez. Again, someone who I think's quite a a similar type of player who's who's gone to gone to Celta Vigo again, uh, but not really done much since since he moved to moved to Europe. So he he could go one of two ways really. These go sort of head to sort of a middle of the table kind of Spanish side, and he could be the next Maxi Gomez, but he could be the next uh, Gabriel Fernandez and and end up maybe coming back um, to to a big club. You know maybe do do a Benedetto and and go to to Boca and and do very well for one of the big uh, sides in. On, on the South American continent, um, I think a lot will will uh, will see a lot of his true potential once football gets back underway. And I think if he if he can hit the ground running in Europe, then then he could stay there for a while. Um, maybe not at the very top clubs, but certainly a, a good level. And if it doesn't quite click and he doesn't work on those elements of the game that we've discussed that are maybe a bit one one dimensional, then he could be back. Admittedly, at a much higher level than Juan Dude, um, but it's it's going to be one of those ones that I, I just yeah I just have no idea which way it's going to go yet. I I really like him as a player, and I think he's he's someone who who could certainly do a job for the national team as a uh, as a good squad player in the future if he keeps it up, and and I'll be willing him to succeed. But certainly, if we do another review uh, pod in a in a year or two's time, then you know he he could he could be anywhere. <laughs> Tom, that was actually the, the final question I wanted to ask you was the, the national team and, and kind of when you look at where this nas- where Uruguay is at now as a national team and then kind of project that forward, is Vinas a player that you can see having a role to play for Uruguay in future Copa Americas, in future World Cup qualifying cycles, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I, d- I don't see why not. He's... The fact that he's been quickly incorporated into the under-23s suggests that um, the the national team set up have been impressed uh, with what he's done. Like I said, I, I think he's got the right mentality to to be a, a really useful player. Admittedly, a squad player, you know, maybe more like a Christian Stuani type of figure. He's not going to be your your leading scorer. You know, I, I, I think 
certainly Maxi Gomez seems to be the the striker with the with the most potential to go on and lead the line for Uruguay. And Darwin Nunez has done very well, um, admittedly in the second division in Spain since he's he's gone there. Um, and he, I don't think he's quite got the the ceiling of of someone like Brian Rodriguez, um, uh, who's who's in the M, in MLS right now. But I think he is someone who who will always be a, around the squads as as that kind of hard-working guy that will you know whatever role you you'll give him he'll he'll do his best he'll make other others shine and and certainly if he continues that opportunistic uh, form in front of goal um, with that physicality that he, he can also bring to the game then then there's no reason to suggest that him yeah he, he's going to be someone sort of in and around the squad for, for years to come. And one final point, Tom, in case you were wondering if he was, in fact, Uruguayan. He does love himself a reckless back challenge as well, kind of just steaming <laughs> towards his own goal with the ball, you know, three players in front of him. I'm going to get there. I don't care how far I got to go. I'm going to get there. He does like that, too, and, and we're big fans of that as well. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got you've to have the garra charrua para to, to get into the... Uh, into the squad there. So you've got to know the, the dark arts of the game as well as the, as the good stuff. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Scouting Spotlight Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media for all the latest from us. All that's left for me to say is thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.